Wig, did you just say wig? Wig, okay. Hi, kids. It's Mark Tierer. And Seeds Hepper. And this is um, uh, mid-September. Is it? Early Yes. Yeah, you're right. Early to mid-September. Something around there. Yeah. Something like that. Hi. I hope you're enjoying the not fall weather. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) We were talking about it before we started recording, but Caitlin... um, made me work even though I almost died today from heat stroke that's um, right so I just want that on the record that she is a you're welcome listeners but <laughs> um, everyone's like where's the podcast you can never blame me uh Martyr's dying and Caitlin's like hurry up um, <laughs> like where are you we need to record <laughs> I know um who are we doing today Caitlin what are we doing so I feel like I feel like a lot of New York misses her a lot. So we're bringing her back. <laughs> it's Miss Gilda Wabbit. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Thank my you. dear. You're looking ravishing as always. Thank you. I just started using the ordinary blood colored chemical peel. So I'm grateful oh. to look glowy. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh, $8 a bottle. And it looks like I'm going to play, I'm cosplaying Elizabeth Bathory. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Do oh it. God. Yeah, no, you look great, baby. Yes. Thank you. We're so excited. <laughs> so we're going to go right into it. What was life like growing up in Kentucky? Oh my gosh. Well, mm-hmm. I grew up in a very religious, very conservative family. Um, when I was first born, we were also super poor. Um, I love to tell the story of like, when I was little, my mom was like, oh, we're having movie night tonight. And we'd like go rent like a dollar VHS. And instead of having dinner, we'd have popcorn and apple slices. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, it's because we didn't have money for real dinner. And so we just like had popcorn like twice a week because, and she was like, it's movie night kids. And I was like, we're poor. Um, (laughs) then when I was like, seven my dad got a factory job at Toyota thank you Toyota and um and we moved to Frankfurt which is the capital of Kentucky but is like a tiny little sad capital like <laughs> there's really not much going on most of the legislature lives in Louisville or Lexington and drives in mm-hmm. um and so it was like a it was like a weird sort of funny thing because I was like this like kid in this little small town where everyone was doing little small town things like you know meth labs and trailers and (laughs) loitering downtown when everything closed at 6 p.m because everything closed at 6 p.m and we would hang out in like the walmart parking lot um i remember one of my most formative formative memories was finding do you all know the band him Mm -hmm. it sounds familiar I mean, listen, they might be canceled. They might be problematic now. I'm not really sure, but I found- <laughs> Is it everything? <laughs> right. I found in the parking lot of our movie theater, which was really run down, but I found like 
a plastic case with a burned him CD on it. And I just like picked it up because I was like, this is going to be fun. And it like started me on like, a little musical journey that like really influenced what I listened to in middle school and high school. Um, so I was like, I was like trying to balance like being this like really, really goody two shoes, conservative Christian kid for my parents. And then like running around with my friends at night and like breaking into abandoned buildings and um, like loitering in parking lots. There was nothing else to do. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Sounds like home. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Small town vibes. You I get it. it. I get it. <laughs> so how did you end up getting into drag? Was it young? Was it when you moved? What happened? <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't young. And well, drag wasn't young, but like gender stuff was super mm-hmm. young. Like literally my very first memory is me at like six years old crying in my bunk bed to my mom and being like, if I was a girl, you all would understand me better um, because I'd gotten in trouble by my dad for like playing with Barbies. Uh, I got in trouble for playing with Barbies while I was watching the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella when I was six years old. I was like, I was like, this is, this is the trans experience um, deeply. Um, <laughs> and so I, yeah, and, and in middle school, I had an English teacher who was, who started a theater program at our middle school. And at the time, the movie of Rent had just come out. Oh, yeah. And my mom was like always, she was like always like a musical theater girly. And so I think she was like sort of like low key, like trying to be like, I get it that you're a queer, like mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you musicals. And so she like, let me watch the movie Rent. And then my theater teacher was like, we're gonna start a theater program. And I was like, I must do the thing that the people in Rent are doing. Um, <laughs> and, so I, and so I started performing um and it was funny it's it it was always this way for me but like even my very first show we were doing some dumb fantasy show and I had auditioned for stuff and I like got called back for the king and then she was like well you're not really a great fit for this so we're not going to cast you and then like two weeks into rehearsal the guy who was playing the king like dropped out because he was like we're not going to have teleprompters and she was like no it's live theater you dumb middle schooler (laughs) and so she was like well uh Gilda you, I mean, she didn't call me Gilda, but she's like, well, yeah. Gilda, uh, you're around and you're easy to work with. So I guess you should do this. And so I just like kind of got thrown into it with like no experience and like a bad audition. Um, but she was like, I like you. So like have this opportunity. Um, and that really started my performing. And I like, I truly, I ended up going to school for opera, which is like a whole other journey. And then mm-hmm. um, I moved to New York to like do the opera thing. And, it, and, and like truly for like, uh, for the operatic industry in New York City, I was like considered successful. Like I, I was always in a show. The issue was uh, in New York, you have the bottom of of the the ladder where no one's making any money, and then you have the top of the ladder where people are, are like making thirty thousand dollars a show at the Metropolitan Opera, and there's nothing in the middle. Mm. And so I was working all the time, and I was broke. And I would go and drink my sorrows away on Tuesdays at Barracuda. And at the time, suddenly Seymour was performing on Tuesdays at Barracuda. And one day I went up to her in like sad, poorly applied Ardell lashes and like a, a, a smidge of blue eyeshadow on my face. And I was like, ma'am, is this your full-time job? And she was like, yeah, kid. I like pick the music I want to sing. I dance and I sing for people. I pay my bills with this and I'm the star of the show. And I was like, 
this is it. The, <laughs> the answer to all my problems is drag. Um, and so I quit doing opera. I started doing drag. A year later, I was able to quit my day job because I just like fucking hustled my little ass off. Um, and I have not looked back since. And in December, it'll have been eight years of me working full time as a drag artist, which is wacky. Yay. Congrats. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Thank well, you. Speaking of drag, I have intel that you're, you, uh, how did you, that this is your current drag name. Um, uh, how did you get your current drag name? And if you want to dead name yourself, please do. <laughs> <laughs> your dead name, old drag name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go, let's go through the dead names. Let's bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, my very first drag name ever, which um, I was supposed to do a show on, under this name with Britta Filter and Tara Hyman. Grenade. Is she going as Tara Grenade now? Um, oh, I don't even know what it is anymore. <laughs> Tara, Tara and Britta. Um, Tara Rising. And- Tara Rising. Rising. Thank you so much. Yeah. I-, I love the journey. Um, <laughs> Tara Rising. And-, and so I was supposed to perform under the name Amanda, spelled A M A N D U H. And I just like thought I was like the most little clever faggot. I was like, Amanda, uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then one of, there was a, uh, a human that I was sleeping with who uh, had just recently come out as trans feminine. And they were like, hey, like that's kind of transphobic. Like, why is it a duh that you're a man just because you have an Adam's apple and hairy arms? Like, that's not funny. And I was like, it's not funny, is it? It's not very funny. And so then- I started looking at new names and I was like, okay, I'm an opera singing faggot from the South. Let me combine Beverly Leslie from Will and Grace with Beverly Sills, who's an opera singer who I share a birthday with and I love her. And so I became Beverly Leslie Sills. And that's how I started performing in New York City. I did New York's Next Top Drag Queen, a competition under that name. I did So You Think You Can Drag, a big competition under that name. And uh, I realized about a year in that something wasn't working with the marketing aspect mm. of me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I bet it's hard for people. First of all, Beverly Leslie Sills doesn't say a lot to most people. It's like two sort of niche, ref- like one. Really it's very niche. They're very niche, niche, both of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and also like at the time I was like, drinking really heavily and so I'm sure when I was drunk at the end of the show and I was like follow me on Instagram at Beverly Leslie Sells like no one knew how to fucking find me Mm. um and so I'd been toying around for a long time with the idea of calling myself Gilda Wabbit if I was going to do shows for children because Gilda Wabbit is a reference to an episode of Looney Tunes called What's Opera Doc where Elmer Fudd sings Gilda Wabbit, Gilda Wabbit, Gilda Wabbit and I was like, oh, this would be like a great like children's drag show name. So when I do like story time, no one looks at Beverly Leslie Sills and sees me talking about dicks on the internet. Um, but instead I was like, actually most people like Looney Tunes. And also if I said Gilda Wabbit, people would think of Jessica Rabbit. Um, and also the people who like Turner Classic movies like me would think of the Rita Hayworth movie, Gilda. Mm. Um, and I wanna be a redhead. So Gilda, Rita Hayworth and Jessica Rabbit are great references. This all just makes sense. Um, and so I called my drag mom, Chiffon Dior, and I was like, mama, I want to change my name. And she was like, I don't know, kid, you like just did this big drag competition because I just finished doing So You Think You Drag. She was like, you just finished this big drag competition. 
you are getting all these shows. Like, I don't know if that's like a good choice. And I uh, don't like being told no. So I did it. And I changed my drag name. This is like a year into me doing drag. I changed my drag name to Gilda Wabbit. And literally the next month, the future liberals want meme happened. And I got a bunch of new gigs and I was like, well, this was the right choice for me. And it's stuck ever since. <laughs> a journey through and through. And we'll, like, we'll definitely dive, like, dive into more of those topics too. Yeah. Um, yeah. How has opera influenced your drag? Oh my gosh. I mean, truly so much. I, I think... I think being a student of music has really influenced the way that I perform. Um, I'm not like a pussy stunt, cat, 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 cow dancer girl, um, but I am somebody who I think I, I'm really good at connecting with music and sort of getting my brain in it and getting around it and figuring out how to meld the, the lyrics with my own emotions and my acting choices and also building it all so it like vibes with the music. And I think that that can make a performance really compelling, even if I'm not doing the splits and doing the somersaults and, and ripping off three wigs, you know what I mean? Um, and of course, I also sing all the time in my work. And, and most of the biggest opportunities for me have come from my singing. So for instance, I did uh, nightgowns with Sasha Velour. Um, I worked with, uh, Sasha was obviously there um, and I worked with Lipsinka and um, Bitch Pudding. Bitch, Bitch Pudding, pudding. why yeah. did I think of this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and it was an amazing show and I was booked by them because I had tweeted, I really wanna sing this aria on stage for like, 500 people and people started tagging Sasha in it and she booked me. And then like, I, I recently did um, Mary Sunshine in Chicago, which is like a soprano role, like in a, in, a, in a show full of amazing dancers, I had to come on and the first minute of me being on stage, like sing a high B flat and nail it every night. Um, yes. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without my operatic background. Um, and so it really has been super influential um, in terms of the direction that I've gone. And it's, and it's something I want to really lean into even more. I, I, I'm starting to feel the, a call to like really return to like music as, as like the, as the regular medium for my performance, you know, um, I feel like I'm getting a, a, enough a name for myself that maybe I can start to throw my rate around and be like, hire me to sing, bitches. Like, if you want to hire a lip syncer, go hire someone who can do the splits, but hire me to sing. Um, <laughs> and so I'm hoping to like head back in that direction um, as well, which is fun and exciting. The hard part with that would be just like the, like usually the sound system is just not made for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Mean, well, this is I don't know how it is in Kentucky, but. I know. No, the sound systems are awful in most okay. drag bars. Yeah, but we have we have drag has gotten to a point in in popular culture that I'm getting booked to do drag work outside of drag bars. Mm -hmm. I'm getting booked in theaters. I'm getting booked with. I've I've done orchestra work and I've done work with opera companies and I I want to do more stuff. I want to I want to take my work outside of the bar because what I do best. Like I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm really good in a bar setting, but I think what I do best is better consumed outside of it, you know? And I'm just trying to like lean into like, what's the most powerful thing about me? 
Yeah. Plus it makes you stand out, which is important. It's true. Yeah. And if and if they don't if they don't think my voice makes you stand out, I'll show my ass to them and then I'll stand out. <laughs> Always important. <laughs> um, what what could someone expect at a typical Gilda show right now? Yeah, so right now I'm working at Play Louisville, which if you, I think uh, people who haven't seen a lot of drag outside of New York will not necessarily know this, but in the South, um, a lot of the shows are like cast shows. And so you're not, it's not like in New York City where it's like one or two people and you're on stage for two hours with two microphones between you and you're just going back and forth. There's, there's seven of us. And we do three shows. We do a show at nine. We do a show at 11. We do a show at one. And I do two numbers in each of the shows. Um, and in between, I'm, I'm, and I'm changing costumes every time. And, and I have to like, uh, I can't do the same number in the same two weeks. So I'm doing like 30 numbers every two weeks, which is like, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> what? But New York New York sort of prepared me for that because like I yeah, was doing right? shows in Astoria. So I was doing like 21 numbers in a night and now I'm doing 31 numbers in two weeks. And I'm like, oh, this is fine. Like, I'm fine. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Fair but, enough. But I, fair enough. Yeah. But I think, well, and I, I truly think the Marathon Drag of New York prepared me for a cast show in a way that a lot of girls who join casts in the South who start as like drag queens in the South are like flabbergasted by. They're like, what the fuck? I have to change my wig six times and do different numbers tomorrow than I did tonight because some of the audience will return and I'm like this is hard for you but it's just like a cultural thing it's just like a cultural thing <laughs> um but but what you can expect to see um is I usually sing about half of my show I try to if I'm doing six numbers I try to do at least two numbers live singing sometimes three um and then when I'm not doing that you're going to get me doing like sexy vampy stripper stuff I wear a lot of lingerie um sometimes if there's a big guest in town I'll pull out like a really crazy burlesque costume and like actually strip for people um I like to I like to use my powers to make a lot of eye contact and just like make people's panties drop and I've gotten really good at that and so that's what you're gonna say. You're gonna expect me to sing my fucking face off, and then you can expect me to ask you with my eye contact to take your pants off. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> the and power. On that note, <laughs> I think we should take our first break. <laughs> you want to take a break? Okay. Yeah. We'll be right back, kids. Okay. And we're back. We're back. Hey. <laughs> I guess I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's someone who unites all of us in this Zoom call right now, and their name is Chiffon Dior. Tell us <laughs> about your relationship with Miss Chiffon. <laughs> um, yes, well, I am currently fighting um, with my life for my place in the will of Chiffon Dior. Um, she likes to um, use my inheritance of, I don't know, whatever the fuck she has in her life as a threat against me as a child. Um, no, Chiffon Dior is um, a wonderful drag media mogul out of uh, the New York area and she and her bestie, Strawberry, um, Miss Backstage Berry, Strawberry Fields, 
were working as press people for So You Think You Can Drag, a competition that used to be produced by Paige Turner at New World Stages. And I was competing and I was robbed. Um, and Who won your season? Uh, Vicky Buffon, who, if I'm not um, mistaken, isn't doing drag anymore. No, uh, um, as far as I know, no. Yeah. Most of the girls who've won against me in drag competitions are uh, not having a career. And um, that's okay. Because um, I am. And, um, <laughs> and Strawberry and Chiffon just really liked me, except for the fact that I pissed Chiffon off because I always wore green because I was like, I'm a redhead. I love the color green. And she was like, I'm interviewing you on a green screen. Oh. Dumb um, and, um, and then she was like, hey, do you want to be my kid? And I was like, sure, adopt me, please. Um, and uh, now she hears from me on holidays and um, I feel like a regular child. <laughs> Just like, I'm not present except for when I need something or on holidays. <laughs> She's always like, who's going to be the first to wish me a happy birthday? Then she gets well, it's very been angry. The past few years, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. Good. Unlike some of her kids. I know. That's why I think that's why she doesn't mind that I don't talk to her very often. If she knows she doesn't have to worry about me, I'm not like, I'm not like falling apart or in a ditch somewhere. I'm just like busy. <laughs> and you don't have any grandkids for her. So I think that's why she also likes you. I do have. Oh, you do? I do, but I am a negligent mom. And I okay. told both of them that I would be a negligent mom if I ever adopted them. And they were like, please, anyway. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, so technically, uh, Matriarch, who is a drag artist out of Columbus, Ohio, and Pussy Willow out of oh. New York City, um, are my abandoned drag children. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I I'm a grandma now because Pussy Willow has a child. Um, I, can see that. I hope that they're a better mom than I ever was because I'm just I'm I can I can barely hold down a boyfriend okay I like I, so like I can't imagine actually having a child I did not know that yeah I was gonna say I know pussy, pussy willow yeah no. <laughs> I know <laughs> no. more you know this this is why we do this podcast just so we can learn oh, no. we, welcome to 23 and me the drag edition <laughs> literally that well Siobhan had like the the extended family spot i don't even know who half these people are i'm just like sure great girl the, the facebook group chat the facebook group chat Ooh. i don't know I'm, i don't know anybody in that lol <laughs> yikes <laughs> um so next question we kind of brought this up in our first half of the podcast but um tell us how it was being the future that liberals want um and that meme and all that notoriety you got real quick how that well yeah. first of all not a motherfucking hoe on any motherfucking social media tags me in that shit <laughs> it was me and so i am not reaping the benefits anymore of that meme um which is fine my career is based on my skill and my ability to sleep my way to the middle so i'll take it um but it was really interesting when it first happened i remember um so Subway Creatures posted it at first and it got like a little, a little ooh excitement. Um, well, the original photographer, I'm so sorry. The original photographer is Booba Berry, um, who's a Ghanaian immigrant who uh, snapped that photo one day on the subway. Uh, me and the woman next to me did not know. He was just like taking pictures because he likes photographing stuff and 
he was on the subway. Um, and his Instagram is at booba360, B-O-U-B-A-H 360. Um, and then Subway Creatures stole his content. And um, then someone started tagging me in it and tagging him. And we both sort of connected on the internet and we're like, wow, this is so cool. I was like, thanks for taking the picture. Like I'm a drag queen, I love attention, this is great. And um, so it got like a little, it got like a little whatever, and then it went away. And then the conservatives on the subreddit r slash poll, which is sort of like a, uh, I, I don't know if it's still functioning now, but at the time it was like an alt-right conservative subreddit. They posted it and they were like, ew, isn't this gross? This is the future liberals want. And then it became a meme. And then BuzzFeed picked it up. And then I was like, God damn it, BuzzFeed is still not tagging me or Boobot in this. <laughs> and so I went on a little campaign and then I started getting interviewed for it. Um, and so I got interviewed uh, with Vice, with Mediaite, with BuzzFeed. I did a radio interview with BBC. I was interviewed by two different news stations here in Louisville. Um, and it was really a cool moment I, I'm grateful, I'm, I think now looking back, I'm grateful that I wasn't well equipped to handle it at the time because I, I think I was just like too young and didn't know enough about myself to like really get a lot out of it. Um, but I certainly didn't have enough media training to like capitalize on it in a way that I could have. Um, and it was really stressful too because I suddenly went from being just some like dumb white girl with an opera degree in Astoria to being someone who was being asked really serious political questions, um, both about the, about, uh, like the, the direction the country was heading. Also, I was getting a lot of questions about, um, the relationship between queer people and, um, the Islamic faith. And I was not really prepared to answer that. And, and also they, they were just like assuming that the woman in the modesty garb next to me was a Muslim. And we don't fucking know because she was in modesty garb because she wants privacy. She didn't want to be known by us. Mm -hmm. um, but it did, it, it, I wasn't really prepared for it, but it did really position, it really made me aware of the position of power and influence we can have as drag artists. And it started making me take more seriously the way I conducted myself um, online and in person. And it made me take more seriously the influence I have even on like small crowds of people in terms of the way we're framing our political narratives and our socio-cultural narratives. Um, and so I think it was really good for me. And even though I don't know how much I gained from it in terms of like traction in my career I gained a lot from it as a person and I think it's helped me show up in the world in a better way in a more thoughtful way and I'm really grateful for that I feel That's like beautiful. it happened to like the right person because yeah. I don't know if too many like queens could handle that in the correct way I guess <laughs> I don't know well I'm like like correct is so subjective because like yeah. even at the time even at the time I I I look back on that and I really stand in a way and I think being able to look back like seven years and say like wow I was had a lot of pressure on me in like BuzzFeed and Vice and the British broadcasting channels like to like represent myself well I look back and I'm like no I really did a decent job but at the time there were friends of mine who I was really close to um, who were messaging me and being like, this is so awful. I hate what you're saying. I don't agree with you. 
And I had to sort of stand in my own conviction. Um, and I, and I think, I think, I think like, like, I think what's important about that is not that people disagreed with me or that I was right and they were wrong. It's that, it's that we have this idea because of the internet and because of identitarian politics that all leftists or all liberals or all queer people or all trans people or whatever have the same values and that there is one set of values that is correct and that that set of values is the thing that is being espoused by the largest most vocal people on social media and that's just fucking wrong and what I learned in that moment was if I feel like I have integrity in what I'm saying and I feel like I can stand in this it's okay if there are people who I trust and who I respect who think I'm doing the wrong thing because there is no right or wrong like, like there's no, there's no list of do's and don'ts that actually covers everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like I could, I, I was not speaking for all people who are quote unquote liberals. I was not speaking for all drag queens. I was not speaking for all queer people. I was speaking for myself from my perspective in my circumstance, um, which is also why I wasn't trying to run around and be like, Muslim people think this and blah, 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 because I didn't know that fucking woman. And people kept asking me to decide what she thought. And I was like, you all are fucking idiots. She wants her privacy and I do not know her. So I cannot decide what she thinks about me or what she thinks about this situation. All I can know is that I'm leaving her alone and she doesn't want to be found because if she wanted to be found, I'm sure she could be, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, I, that was actually a really important lesson for me that I've still really carried through to this day. I mean, I, I think we've watched the internet become a more caustic, more black and white, mm -hmm. more I'm right and you're wrong. And if you're wrong, you should go to fucking hell place. Mm -hmm. And um, And navigating that as a person who... I feels a lot of passion about the way I want the world to look and feels a lot of passion about uh, trying to do what I think is the, the thing with the most integrity. Um, I feel like that landscape is really challenging to navigate. Um, but my experience with the Future Liberals Want meme gave me the, the foundation to build upon so I could look at the landscape of people yelling at each other and infighting and saying that people are wrong and saying that I shouldn't be friends with somebody because they liked this post and the post that, that someone typed out also said da, da 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 and I can like be like hey I hear you I understand you're upset and I'm gonna move through the world in the way that I want to and if you don't like the way I move through the world do not tell me to change I don't know you just stop looking at what I post like you cannot control my behavior, but you can set a boundary and be like, I don't like that rabbit girl. I'm not gonna follow her, which fucking people have. I The amount of subtweets I have seen in my career where people have said shit like, I don't like that rabbit girl. I don't like what she has to say. And I'm like, then don't follow me. You don't owe me that. I'm, I'm, I am just a regular fucking human being. And there are 30,000 drag queens on the internet you can follow. If you don't like the minute details of my politics and my ethics, then don't fucking follow me, babe. Go live a life where you don't have to see my shit and be happy and don't let me bother you. Cause you ain't bothering me. That's right. I and always... I've had a, I've had a beautiful existence since. I was like the mute button's right there. I don't know why people like waste their time. Like it's right there. Girl, I mute, I mute everybody. I even mute my fucking friends. If I have friends who I think their Twitter presence is super annoying, but I like them in person, I will mute that shit so fast so Same. I can maintain a relationship with you. 100%. <laughs> oh, I, I've just, um, I've honestly started like just blocking people if I find them annoying. Cause they're just like. Faster. They, they don't care. 
I don't care. Who yeah. cares? Yeah, it's just whatever. I mute but, a lot of people. Um, no, that was those are great points, babe. And thank you for speaking out on being life after being a meme. <laughs> <laughs> so completely switching gears. <laughs> you, I'm a Gemini. I can do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you recently competed last year on Camp Wanakiki. You are our first yes. Camp Wanakiki guest. Oh my God, oh my God it's come true. <laughs> well, it's come true. We, we talk about Camp Wanakiki a lot on this show. <laughs> but you're our first guest. How was that like? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> the silence was deafening. Yeah, it was certainly an experience. I I learned so much and it has made me want to go back to reality television on like a larger scale with a better budget. I think that would be really um, fun. Um, and I think I'm really excited that season four is on out TV. I'm excited that they're sort of getting a team underneath of them. That's what I wanted to happen on my season, I was like, oh, it's season three, just like Dragula, just like Drag Race. This is when Camp on a Kiki is gonna take off. Let me fucking do it. And then it like didn't because of all the COVID shit that was going on. Um, and that's just sort of like say la vie, it happened. Um, but I it it Camera Kiki really clarified for me a lot about who I was as a drag artist. It was the first time sort of publicly that I was on something and I was like talking about the gender journey I was going on. I had also just gotten divorced. So I was talking about that and, and I got there and it clarified for me that like, I am a drag queen who is funny and who wants to look beautiful. And that is the place from which I can do my best comedy. And that's not what they were looking for. I, I could they see were it. just not <laughs> looking for. No, cause I was yeah. watching um, and, and, and your it, episodes today. So I was like, I don't know this judging sus. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, and like, it's really funny because I have done a bunch of competitions in my drag career. And the two most influential for me were Camp on a Kiki and So You Think You Can Drag, right? And So You Think You Can Drag, I remember I was doing so well. I was getting amazing feedback from the judges. I was getting amazing reactions from the audience and I was not winning. And I went to Paige Turner and I said, Paige, I would love your feedback here. I'm really passionate about this. I would like to do well. What could I change? And she looked at me and she said, some people win competitions. Some people have careers. You're going to have a career. And then I went on Camp Wanakiki. And when I, when I lost, I kind of like spiraled for a little bit. And then I pulled myself back together and I was like, okay. And so I went to the Sugar Baker twins and I went to Ruthie and I was like, hey, like, I don't know if you are ever going to do all stars. I don't know what your plan is, but like, I would love to hear your feedback about what I presented so I can like refine it and do something differently. If you think that there was a thing that I was failing at and all of them looked at me and they said, no, we were fans of you before you were on the show. We were fans of the work you presented on the show. We loved everything you did. And at first I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, why am I? I not still can and then I thought to myself and I was like you know what they have a really specific brand and I do not match that brand and that doesn't mean that I'm not good at what I do it just means I don't match that brand and I really think that's what it came down to and I think a lot of people I think that's what a lot of reality television comes down to is like mm -hmm. do you match 
the brand of the company that you're working for. Because when you're cast on a show, you are working and you are playing a role. It's not like a reality show is not even a competition, truly. You're like playing a role for these people. Um, And and so it just like, it just like, I went and I really believed in my package. I still believe in my package. I thought everything I did was campy and hilarious and sexy all at once and really heartfelt. uh, I, my whole package was about failure. Like if, 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 if I went back through and like read you all of my voiceovers, even the ones that didn't get shown, like all of it was about the, the comedy and absurdity of failure, um, which is what I was trying to present on the show. And um, I just realized like, oh, I love what the fuck I'm doing. It does not matter if these people who have power and influence and money don't want me for their winner because I love what I'm doing. Um, and that has sort of been a lesson I've been trying to get into my body since about how do I be myself at a hundred percent and trust that even if I'm receiving feedback, that's not the feedback I want about me being myself hundred percent, I deserve to show up as fully as possible. And I deserve to believe in what I'm presenting. Uh, and so that's like been, a, that's been like a really powerful lesson. Thanks to that show. I, it's great that you could take away from that because I feel like I don't know. Something happened along the way. I feel like it was like not really a fair competition. Obviously, no competition is fair. It's always usually predetermined. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I I was really gagged, truly. <laughs> and like this is this is I, I'm not saying this was intentional or this was like fuckery, but it was really gaggy to me that the only episode where there was a challenge involving immunity was that episode. No one else received immunity the whole time. And for some reason, that episode, we had a challenge with immunity and the girl who got immunity was not good that night. Mm-hmm. And, and they said that to her, they were like, you're lucky you have immunity. Mm-hmm. And I think if she had not had immunity, I would have stayed and I would have ramped the fuck up for the rest of the competition because based on the way the challenges landed, I had a lot of really strong showings afterwards and I just don't think I was given the opportunity to expand my narrative and show like I, I think I was I think based on the way the runways landed I like had a really solid brand in the beginning but I maybe didn't have enough versatility for them yeah. and if I had gone a few more episodes I would have just started to show all the versatility that I brought along with me but that's just not how it shook out and um and I was really angry at the time because you're allowed to have your feelings and that's no shade to anybody and now that I'm past it I'm like yeah like whatever. I like learned a lot and had a really wild experience. Um, and I would not have changed that for anything. You can always do all-stars. <laughs> right, I can, well, I, I will do we'll all-stars if they have, a, if they have a, a nice budget. I would love to do that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I would like to, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of backtrack a little bit. I was really sad when you moved out of New York. What was like that like leaving the New York scene, which is kind of like one of the bigger stages for drag in the country to Louisville, which is also a very big stage in the country yeah. as well, but I it's mean, totally different. I, yeah, it is totally different. I will tell people I left New York because of my marriage. I was, I was married at the time to a man. He had moved to Kentucky for work. He was not gonna return to New York. And I was really depressed about it. I, I felt, um, I, I felt, 
isolated from him. I was also, New York was so expensive. I was working all the time. And so I didn't have like a life or connections or friends outside of nightlife. Um, and I was also, uh, yeah, I can say it, fuck it, whatever. I was also in with a couple people who I think were really did not have my best interests at heart. And I think that that was sort of under the surface of me feeling really shitty in New York City, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to process that because I was just so in it. Mm-hmm. but I felt bad um and so I and, and I and at the time I was just like well I think the reason I feel bad is I miss my husband I'm gonna move to Kentucky um and and so I moved and um and I got hired at play uh like two months later like my I I moved here I started working um I thought I was gonna have to give up drag and go back into I've, I thought about going back to school for music I thought about going back into restaurant work because I'd managed restaurants before um and then the drag work just started picking the fuck up um and then play hired me Uh, my very first official night as a playmate was halloween of 2018 i think it was when i moved back here 2018 um and truly wow i'm like really emotional about this it truly it is the best thing i've ever done for myself um the people in new york who i was around who did not mess at heart are no longer in my life. Um, my husband, who also did not have my best interests at heart, is no longer in my life. Um, and my career and my relationships and my relationship with myself um, are all so much better for it. I've had more opportunities in theater and music here than I ever did in New York. I'm getting paid way way better here than I ever got paid in New York City. I have an actual work-life balance now where I'm not working every fucking day. I have friends who have nothing to do with drag. Um, And I tell drag artists all the time, I'm like, if you wanna be a successful drag queen, do not just keep your eyes on the drag scene. Do not just reference other drag artists. Do not just be friends with drag people. You have to have a life outside of drag because your audience has a life outside of drag. And so if you cannot connect with them, by having all being a whole ass human being, you're not going to get very far and you're going to burn yourself out. Um, and I, and I remember when I left a lot of people were like, why the fuck are you going to Kentucky? Why the fuck are you going to Kentucky? And now I'm like, if anyone ever messaged me, they're like, I'm going to leave New York. I'm like, fucking do it, babe. There are a million drag queens in New York. There's always someone there to take your place. It's really hard to feel valuable and feel cherished when you're in New York city, but there are so many scenes around this country that want good drag and appreciate good drag where you can go and you can feel really supported. And as an artist, you might have a better time there. And that's been my experience. And I don't think people realize who are in New York, like at least, cause I've done just so much research about drag around the country. Like the Louisville scene is like pretty big. Like it's kind of, it's very well-respected and like just like a kind of a big deal, especially doing like being a part of play. That's like probably the biggest like nightclub in that area so mm-hmm. it will it's also I've, I've worked all over the country and truly uh square footage wise and stage wise it is the biggest drag bar physically in the country I can like see that. like parliament house had nothing on this like roscoe's has nothing on this oh, like yeah all the big fucking spaces um that people are like oh like showgirls and we ho you know what i mean yeah none of them mm-hmm. have stages like us None of them have lighting and sound systems like us. And like, that doesn't mean that we're like the best show in the country. That's not for me to decide, but it does mean that like, it's an amazing privilege to work at play. 
Um, and I take it really seriously and I work my ass off to put on a good show for them. I, t- I take having fun very seriously, um, <laughs> which I, I think it's a really good time. Well, some of my favorite like drag performances that I've watched online were all from play because like the videos are really good and like there is so much space on the stage and I feel like there's like a good audience like stage balance like I feel like the art like whoever is performing actually like has space to like perform <laughs> you don't see that really anywhere else. yeah yeah it's really funny it's really funny when like girls who started in New York City who like got on Drag Race and are touring come to play and they look at me they're like what the fuck this stage is so big and I'm like yeah baby girl get ready for your cardio like <laughs> I know you've got a 10 minute comedy make but you're not standing on a square little soapbox you're like on a huge stage you gotta go good luck good luck <laughs> <laughs> um and that'll bring us to our last section of this little section um you recently performed in Hedwig and Chicago in Kentucky what was that like? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Um, really, I feel so privileged to have had both of those opportunities. Um, and both of them started before the pandemic. I, I was uh, invited to do a callback for Chicago at the Lexington Theater Company, Equity Regional here in Kentucky. Um, I was invited to do a callback for them in 2019, like in March of 2019, like right before the shit really hit the fan. Um, and and then the Hedwig thing, we the production company, Drag Daddy Productions that I work with here in Louisville, they were talking about doing that with me before the pandemic started. And then all the shit hit the fan and I was like, fuck. Like I like things laid out for myself for the year that COVID really destroyed everything. Um, and those two were huge opportunities that I was really sad about losing. And then um, once restrictions, things started to get back into full swing. And so in November of last year, we mounted Hedwig for the first time. Um, and it was an amazing experience. Hedwig is a, is a beautiful, beautiful show and a beautiful role to take on. Um, and I learned so much from her and I learned so much from the process and we got amazing reviews. Um, and, and, and Trask, the composer, um, they came to see the show and oh, got to talk afterwards. And now Stephen and I, Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Cause Stephen Trask lives in Kentucky. Oh. Um, and so now, now Stephen and I have like a, a sort of acquaintanceship over Instagram. We check in with each other every once in a while just to see how we're doing. Um, and they're just like really cool. Um, so I'm really grateful. And then there was a demand for Hedwig again, um, because we only did like a four show run. And so we remounted it in July of this year for another four show run. And we sold out a bunch of our shows and got great reviews again. And also the privilege of getting to approach that role twice with some time in between, um, was really powerful for me. I feel like I learned a lot the first time I did it. And so the second time I came back and I was just more confident in my skills and abilities as a performer. And I think it was, I think it was even more exceptional, um, this show. Um, and so I'm just really proud that I got to do it. And I, it's a role that I would love to do more of in the future. So if anyone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I really want to produce Hedwig, but I need a real ass drag artist. Um, um, with a real trans experience to do this crazy show, hit me the fuck up, bitch. Um, I don't have an agent right now. No one's gonna be taking an extra 20% off top. Just hit me up, let's go. Um, and then, so after Hedwig, which was this amazing, amazing run and that I felt so good about, 
um, Chicago happened. And, and Chicago, they, they called me in December. Um, so right after the first time we did Hedwig, they called me in December and said, hey, are you still interested in doing the show? We have all your audition material recorded from a few years ago. So we'd love to still have you in the part. And I was like, yes, please, absolutely. Um, and Chicago really hit me over the head because I was suddenly in a room full of actors from all over the country, including almost all of our leads had had Broadway experience. Our Velma was like literally took time off from the Music Man, which is currently on Broadway, to come do Chicago. Um, and and um, and our Roxy had been in Summer, and she had been in. Um, Oh, and the Share Show and our uh, Billy Flynn had been in Eight Misbehaven and had been in the entire run of the Color Purple Revival, just like huge, successful performers. And, um, and I was in the room with all these amazing people who all were excellent at what they do and also cared as a whole. The show was excellent. And, and my experience in nightlife is largely uh, one of where I care about things being excellent and many other people um, including bar owners, including other performers, including whoever is being hired to press play as the DJ and not being paid enough. A lot of people are there to either just drink and party or like are just there to like do whatever. It's rare to run across people who I think really, truly, deeply care about an excellent experience for themselves and for the audience uh, as a whole team. Like you can maybe work with a performer, but like to also get the bar manager on board and to get the bar staff on board, it can be really hard, you know? Um, or you can be like thrust into a show with people and like half the cast like doesn't give a fuck because they're like, I'm here to do ketamine and like have a wild time. Um, and so it was really amazing to be in this room where everyone just took the shit seriously. And like, we were having a good time. Like when I say taking shit seriously, I'm not like we were like all wearing like funeral blacks and like ringing sad bells and being like, Theodore is is the most important art in the world. Like, I think that's masturbatory, but like we just like <laughs> gave a shit and we took our asses off. Um, and then I realized through the process, like these people who I was like, oh my God, why am I in the room with all these famous, amazing performers were looking at me and they were like, what the fuck? We're in the same room as Gilda Wabbit. Holy shit. And I was like, wait, you think I'm a, you think I'm a big deal. You think I'm good at what I do. You think what I have to offer is special. And they were like, yeah, you stupid bitch. And and so it really just like, it like really like, deeply moved me and like has lit a fire under my ass and like I I have unfortunately after having that fire lit under my ass I've had a lot of like my personal life sort of pulled out from under me um and so I haven't had time to like take that fire under my ass and really do anything with it because I'm having to like handle shit you know um but I think everyone's going through that right now with all the astrology that's going on I think everyone's lives are sort of like falling apart in this weird but transformative way um but I am really moved by it and and under the surface while I'm trying to handle the stresses of like personal life there is a change happening within me in terms of my own belief in myself and my own desire to express and create and my own desire to stand in my own power and I am so excited to take those lessons from those shows to move to the other side of the bullshit in my life and to thrive because I can like feel it I feel like I'm on the precipice of it like like I can just like feel it tingling in my gut that like something is gonna happen and it's it doesn't even have to be something big 
and like huge. It can just be internal. It's like happening within me. Um, and uh, yeah, I just like cannot express how exciting and thrilling that is. Yes, so deep. I love uh, it. <laughs> uh, Martyr, uh, get some inspiration right now. I, uh, <laughs> I am. I am. Um, <laughs> let's take our last little break and we can get into my favorite part of the interview. But we'll be right back, kids. Great. Bye. Wig, okay. we'll keep that my, <laughs> my, my stomach's all mess literally okay I, I taught myself how to this is so gross I, this, I'm keeping this in the podcast that's fine um when I was a kid I had a big fear of throwing up and so um I don't know why um I just didn't like it I think um and so I taught myself how to burp like on command um because it would calm me down yeah <laughs> We're going there, oh, kids. Wait, I can burp on command too. Hey. <laughs> Ready? Three, yeah. two, one. Uh, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Got it. Welcome back, kids. <laughs> Special skills. Special Things skills. I can't do and don't know. want to. <laughs> okay. Um, I think uh, usually this is my least favorite question, but you've, you've done this, so uh, I'm interested in your um, answer, but Gilda, do you think you'll ever go back to reality television? You kind of said you might go back if they have a better budget, but what about some other reality TV shows or TV in general? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think that I am a really solid fit for shows like Drag Race and Queen of the Universe in terms of what I bring to the table. Um, I think if I were to be invited back to Camp Wanakiki, I would have to decide if I was going to really stand in the work that I do or like cater to what the show is asking for and decide what that would be, if that would be worth it. Um, sort of same thing with with uh, Dragula. I think there's like a world in which I could do a show like that, but I would have to really expand my boundaries. Um, but I really respect what the Boulay brothers have built. Um, and in terms of any other television, like any, like truly... I, I had so such an interesting time creating TV and I would love to do it again, whether it's scripted, whether it's not. Um, and like, I just like, yeah, I just like, I like working with people. I like doing the work. Um, and so I don't want to like go on reality TV to like win. I want to go on reality TV to like make good TV. And if I happen to win along the way, sick, nasty, great. But like, if I don't, that's okay. Cause like, I just want to make good fucking TV. I want to have a good time. I want to meet other artists and be inspired by them. I want to learn about myself. I've always, I've never done a competition to win. I've always done a competition to grow. Um, and that's what's happened to me every time I've done that. And I'm just like really thrilled about it. So yes, I would do more television um and yes uh if you want me to audition for your netflix pilot please hit me up thank you so much <laughs> i i feel like queen of the universe would be a really good fit for you that's just my yeah point. i mean i would be so excited i really enjoyed season one um i i've seen on reddit the rumors that they're filming season two right now so that would be super fun um i'm excited to see it 
Um, and I've, I'm, I'm friends with some of the girls from season one. Ada Vox and I are nice and friendly. Nova Zara and I were really close when I was in New York. Um, there's just like a lot of amazing talent that came through that. R.E.B. Cassadine is so brilliant. Um, and so I would love to be a part of that brand, certainly. I don't know if I am a good fit for them because like I am like an opera singer, musical theater girly and they're more like a, like we want um, someone to like riff and run and star. Yeah. Um, but if they want someone to come on and sing their face off and they get kicked off in three episodes, I'll do it girl. I'll sing three arias and get kicked off. I don't mind. Tell my story. <laughs> I got divorced and I'm microdosing estrogen. Let's tell that story. Okay. Let's go. Hey. hey. <laughs> we love to hear. Um, do you have any future upcoming projects to promote? Um, yeah. So right now I am, I'm still working with Drag Day Productions here in Kentucky. We're doing, uh, we're doing Snow White and the Seven Drag Queens with Dusty Ray Bottoms oh. in December. We're doing Alice in Derbyland in April and we are we've secured the rights and we haven't set the official dates, but we're doing Jesus Christ Superstar next summer, which is very exciting. Um, I am anything else big that I'm doing? Um, not anything that is like currently being talked about, but I certainly some of my own projects. I released a calendar um, last year and I have sort of re vamped the workflow I did for that. Um, and so I've been working on a calendar, obviously not for 20, for 2024 again next year, which is really fun. I love being a little model. Um, I wanna release music and like, not like my own music. I'm not a girl who's like a songwriter, but I wanna like do great covers of really beautiful songs and be that girl. And I'm, I'm sort of working with people around how do I get into recording and how do I, how do they, what, what setup do they have and how can I, bring something fresh and unique and good to that um so yeah not not a lot of things on the table listed right now um but a lot uh, in the next year that i'm excited about what's the best advice you've been given in drag yeah so like Paige turner's advice to me of like hey some people win competitions some people have careers really just like changed a lot for me i stopped worrying about competing with everyone and just started worrying about myself and doing a job um and that just like really changed a lot of how i approach stuff and i think i'm much better for it um i believe it's my turn caitlin it's your turn is it my turn okay. sure miss gilda miss gilda um Ms. can you tell yeah. us a crazy salacious never been heard before scandalous tale from nightlife uh yeah i absolutely can <laughs> um so i used to well it's gonna be really easy to know maybe where this is because the the <laughs> bars that i worked at regularly were small in number but i used to work at a bar in new york city um as one of their regular drag queens and they also hosted um a private nudist party and that private nudist party was explicitly not a sex party. It was, it was like a naked get together in a public split space um, where you could drink. And I had a group of friends. This was like back in the height of 
I'm now in my like, I want to be tender with you and slutty with you. So we have to know each other. But at this time I didn't care. I was not discriminatory. I would fuck anything that moved. Um, and so a group of friends and I would go to these nudist parties and then go back to one of our apartments and have like an orgy, right? Um, just great fun. It was so good. Um, and so this on this one night, we were pre-gaming. And then we went to the nudist party. And this time the nudist party was at the bar that I worked at. And so the bartenders were like, oh my God, Gilda, how are you doing? And because I was Gilda Wabbit and I was friends with these bartenders, they were like pouring me more shots. Oh no. And then I blacked out. Oh no. And I came to when one of the bartenders tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Gilda, you've got to leave. And I looked down and one of my friends was fucking me on the stage at the bar. <laughs> and the bartender was like, this is not a sex party. You've got to go. <laughs> and so we all went and we went back to the uh, hotel and we had our little, or the, the apartment and we had our little orgy and it was a really good time. And then I texted the bartender the next and I said, hey, I'm really sorry I had sex with so-and-so on the stage. Like, thank you for stopping me. I know it's against the rules. And the bartender said, Gilda, you did not just have sex with him. I was stopping you because I realized you weren't going to stop because he was the fourth guy who fucked you <laughs> on that stage. So I was just like blackout drunk, ass in the air, like, who wants it? <laughs> <laughs> queen, queen shit right there. I'm so grateful the next time I got my STI tests, I had a fully clear panel. Yeah. I'm so grateful I was on trip. Um, and I'm so grateful for that bartender for not telling management so I didn't get fired. Um, but that that was the story. <laughs> that was the most scandalous story in my life that I know. That's good. That's oh. a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm glad you were Ooh. consenting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> drunk and who knows where consent lies, but yeah. I, I was in my slut phase and after it happened, I didn't have any qualms about it. So there you go. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. No, no shame, no shame to any of those men who I the three three of whom I don't know who they were. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope the hole was magical for you. I hope I was more memorable than you were. I'm dying. Caitlin, ask the last question. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't even know. Uh, all right. We touched on it a little bit. But where do you want to take your drag in the future? Yeah. I mean, I... It's a really interesting question because I am starting to sort of, like, see myself less of like in the box of drag queen and more in a larger space as a performer in general. Um, I uh, am starting to show up in theater and music spaces and audition spaces as a woman, which I really like. Um, and so I, 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 right now I'm, I'm trying to find, the, the thing I like about drag is that I can perform and there's a visual aspect and I can marry the two. And I don't want to give that up. Like I, I, I love being a visual artist and a performer. Um, but what I don't want to do is limit myself to just bars and just lip syncing and just nightlife. And so whether that means I will continue working exclusively as a drag artist and be able to expand into those spaces 
or if those spaces are asking me to not self-identify as a drag artist in those spaces, but just identify as a performer. Um, I want to be making more theater. I want to be doing more music. Um, I would love to do more burlesque. That's something that I really am passionate about and sort of fits into the like vibe of the world that I live in. Um, and I want to keep doing photography and modeling uh, because I've really enjoyed creating art that way as well and working with great photographers. Um, so theater, music, photography, stripping. That's like the, the, the directions I want to go. Uh, and, and right now there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon and there's been a lot of cool stuff in my recent past that makes me feel like I've got the momentum to keep that up. And so I'm very, very excited about it. I can see all of that for you. thousand percent. Thank you. Yeah. You put the work in, you know, baby, I have laid the groundwork. I'm just waiting for someone to pick me up and say, this is our star. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure they will find you. <laughs> I am too. Um, well, thank you so much, babe, for joining us. It's been a real treat. Um, where can the kids find you on the internet? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Venmo, Grinder, Grubhub, Ashley Madison, at Gilda Wabbit, G-I-L-D-A-W-A-B-B-I-T. You can also find me at gildawabbit.com where you can uh, see reviews of my work and interviews with me and also buy my merch um and that's the place to be baby beautiful thank you so much babe it's thank been a you. pleasure um thank you all for having me of course anytime please come back we'd love to have you again happily, happily. Um, <laughs> um well i was martyr i was c tepper and this was bye kids bye be good I'm C. Tepper. You can follow me on Instagram at C-T-E-P-P-E-R and read my book, The State of Drag, where I interviewed 175 drag queens from around the world. All proceeds go to charity on Amazon.com. Ooh, I love that. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Drag the Martyr. And if you have any thoughts, comments, dick pics, send them to dragthemartyr at gmail.com. Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Pandora. And catch up with past episodes on work.com. That's W-E-R-R-R-K.com. Artwork for Waking Out was provided by Glitter Baby Online. That's Glitter Baby Online. Thank you.